Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is William Winterby and I'm one of the Sport and Exercise Medicine Registrars in London. And I'm delighted to be today to be joined by Dr. Dan Coglin. Dan is a real expert in strength and conditioning. He's head of SNC for the PGA European Tour and he's spent the last four years developing the European Tour SNC services, which supports 37 tournaments worldwide, as well as supporting the Open and the Ryder Cup. He's also a senior clinical teaching fellow in sports medicine, exercise and health at UCL and lead for sports science and medicine, the England Goal, in which he's established a network of SNC coaches and applied sports scientists that support over 200 golfers annually. So thanks for coming on, Dan. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, Will. So there seems to have been a, a huge shift in, in golfers over the last 10 to 15 years. With many more golfers at the top of the game, such as Tiger Woods and Brooks Kepka, and most recently Bryson DeChambeau, focusing on putting on muscle mass to gain more power. Bryson specifically appears to have spent most of lockdown at the gym and drinking lots of protein shakes to do this. So I'd like to start by getting your take on how you think the strength and conditioning landscape in golf has changed over the last few decades. Yeah, cool. So I, th- I mean, I think this has been massive, really. It's, it's, it's been a huge shift and I've seen it sort of happen right from, well, sort of over the last 10 years, I guess, when I started getting into golf. And um, like you say, you only need to look at some of those big names like Bryson, um, you know, like Tiger, like Brooks. Um, to see how much of a big part or how big it's become um, in the sport. And I think even sort of beyond that, like a lot of people look at those big names and they look at the obvious athletes in the sport. But, you know, seeing those players every single day in the um, in the truck on tour, uh, we see that, you know, pretty much every player is engaged in some sort of physical activity and sort of structured training. And um, so many players that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be training uh, are kind of taking it really seriously. So, um, for me, that's that's kind of a big impact at, at the pointy end of the sport. And then sort of looking back over the last 10 years as well, uh, you know, I remember I was in um, England golf squads working with under 16s when I first got into golf. And I was spending all my time trying to convince them to do exercise, let alone do structured training. And, you know, now when I go and speak to our, our England players, they're sort of getting in uh, the gym already they know that they need to do SSC and they're not needing any convincing they're just needing advice on how to uh, I guess kind of optimize their training um, instead and I guess you know even beyond that if I look at the England system we've put in uh, 10 years ago there wasn't a huge amount of engagement like I said necessarily with SSC um, but you know now our 200 players across the um, development pathway are all involved in SNC. They all get SNC support, and you know most of our uh, our kids who are in their early teens, just getting into performance golf, are already in the gym lifting. So, you know, you've got that sort of pointy end that everyone sees. You've got the players behind that that are all grinding away and maybe not being noticed for it. And then you've got the um, development pathways where it's being pushed at a really young age. So, I think it'll be an even bigger shift over the next ten to twenty years. Okay. Okay, so I mean, obviously, as you say, there's been this huge shift in in um, what players are doing in, in doing more S and C, and with the recent rise of Bryson DeChambeau, it is clear that S and C must be must be helping these players to to score better on the course. Could you tell us a bit about how S and C improves performance in golf? 
Yeah, definitely. So again, this is something that we've been thinking about really quite long and hard over a number of years. And we've been sort of trialing different things as well as looking to the literature. And um, when I got into golf, maybe it was partly around that need to sell to a player. But there was a real emphasis on trying to impact a player's um, technical ability, like transfer to swing mechanics and, and help them with coaching or challenges they were having with their swing. And, you know, over a period of time, our our outlook has certainly shifted away from that and it's moved into, uh, you know, kind of a few other key areas. Um, so with help from the European Tour team and the England golf teams, uh, we've put together this kind of probability of performance impact model, which is really just our way of trying to unpick what are we most likely to affect and what are we least likely to affect. And, you know, for us, I think the most likely thing that we're going to have impact on through strength and conditioning, physical activity, um, is a player's availability and readiness to perform and play. And so what I mean by that is their availability is whether they're um, off sick or injured. And we know that resistance training and, and physical activity can have a big impact on someone's injury risk or illness risk. So we're, we're kind of firm believers that it's going to impact that. I think sort of secondly, in terms of readiness to play and perform, you know, players are... Um, practicing all of the time and they need to be able to tolerate that practice they also need to be able to tolerate the travel the um, changes in time zones the um, consecutive days of competition the consecutive weeks of travel and competition and we think that fitter players are going to be able to deal with those demands of practice and just the lifestyle of a golfer better and um, so we're pretty firm believers that physical activity and and also resistance training are going to help with that kind of readiness aspects they get more out of themselves um, secondly to that I suppose we're interested in club speed which gets a lot of the attention and whilst we're pretty certain we can affect someone's readiness or um, injury illness risk through physical activity and exercise we're you know fairly convinced that in most cases we can improve a player's um, club head speed and we do that by getting them you know whatever they need you know, bigger stronger faster more explosive so that they hit the ball further and um like I say, that's, that's quite likely to transfer. That's quite likely to happen. And from our experience, um, we, we've seen quite big changes in club speed with, with players that we've worked with. And I guess for some perspective, so you understand how much this, this matters to a player. Um, on the European Tour last year, if you average somewhere around 275 yards driving distance across the season, you earn about a million euros less than someone who drove it 315 yards across that season. So if we can just give someone 10 or 20 yards, we're really helping them move the dial on that prize money and we're helping them move the dial on that performance. Um, again, and, and the literature, I think, sort of backs us up to a degree on both of those things, you know, the injury, illness and or in general um, literature and also the, the club speed and distance. There's quite a lot of golf literature on that. And then for us, that third part, which I said, um, you know, kind of golf started around the transfer to technical ability. Um, for our experience and also looking into the literature, there isn't a huge amount to support the idea that S&C is going to have a direct impact on how a player swings it. And so for us, that tends to be the thing that we kind of guarantee less or we um, think is a bit less predictable. And we'll work with players on case by case basis on that on that bit of the equation, I guess. Okay. And I suppose, so with all this, um, sort of the second bit, thinking about increasing club head speed um, and, and therefore distance, there's, there's greater forces placed on the body 
um, and I imagine that could increase the injury risk. Is there any way that you, you're able to manage the challenge between reducing injury risk but also improving the club head speed? That's been a topic that we've discussed at length um, quite regularly and we have those discussions with, with um, the team that we work with. You know, we've got physios, we've got docs, we've got a really nice, interesting range of people that we work with on a daily basis. And it's also a concern we sometimes have from coaches. You know, the players will want to chase the distance. They don't think they're going to break, but the coaches are sometimes a bit more reserved. And I think for us, you know, first off, it comes down to good programming. And I think if we write good and appropriate programs, we don't push players too hard too early, but likewise, we don't hold them back too much either. We sort of strike that balance. We know that on the whole, you know, resistance training and appropriate physical activity is going to reduce injury risk, not increase it. So I guess first off, by just giving them some good exercise, hopefully they get a lower injury risk and club head speed is a, a bit of a byproduct of that. Um, I think secondly, you know, players are trying to swing it fast anyway, regardless of um, whether they do resistance training or not. And so they're going to the range and they're swinging their driver as fast as they can to increase their distance or they're getting some speed sticks, which are like weighted clubs, and they start to swing with those thinking it's going to have a big impact. So for us, if we and it kind of ties into that first point, if we can get them in the gym, if we can get them in a position where they can tolerate those forces better, they might get the benefits from the training they're brought in from the golf perspective with the with the trying to swing it hard and change technique but they're getting the injury risk reduction from the gym um, and being able to tolerate those forces better um, i think i guess next you've got that sort of um, issue of well what if they've been swinging it and doing their golf specific work for a while they've been lifting a while and they're starting to get much more advanced and trying to hit it further and again for us like most players that we see aren't at that point where they're pushing like physical envelopes they're lifting quite reasonable weights you know they're, they're strong um, but they're certainly not at the real pointy end of strong um, like if you're working with power lifters or something so because they're not strength specialists or barbell specialists quite often they're getting the benefits of training without necessarily the frequency um, or intensity that would be required for someone to start gaining a lot of injury risk by it being like their specialism and their sports specialism I guess um, and then finally, because we do work with some players who are pushing the physical envelopes, they are starting to get really strong. They are swinging it fast. They are ticking all those basic boxes. Um, we put in a lot of injury re risk reduction exercises, which are based on research that we've done within the European Tour on the types of injuries that players get, um, some of which have been published in BJSM. And we also tend to give them lots of advice on load monitoring and, and management as well. Um, so with that information, we can apply a bit of reasoning to exercise selection and, and try and mitigate risk uh, where possible. So if you've got a, a player coming in to see you, um, how, could you tell us a bit about how you'd assess that player or identify any deficits that they might have? In golf, there's been this big focus, uh, as there has in some other sports, around um, movement screening and like really focusing on a physical assessment. And we've spent a lot of time trying to refine the approach that we want to have on the European tour um, and really kind of challenge that, that more original approach, which was around movement screening and transfer to technical ability. And so for us, the most important part of the assessment is, is probably having a good conversation with the athlete, um, the coach and, and the wider team, trying to understand that player's background. Um, trying to understand that player's motivations and um, you know what they've done before what's worked what hasn't worked you know all, all the good stuff that you need to know to write a good program 
and combining that with just observation. So we just like to watch them train. Um, sometimes we won't assess them at all other than a nice conversation and giving them a basic program and just watching them or, or just watching them do their, their old program before they came to see us. And we also have this kind of philosophy that every S&C session is an, an opportunity to, to screen, assess, monitor. And, um, you know, we're always giving players uh, iterative pieces of advice or adapting the program based on what we see on, on the day. Uh, and we do a lot of monitoring uh, as well as that. But for us, that's, that's kind of the cornerstone of, of our approach. Um, beyond that, um, we typically look at isometric mid-thigh pull as a measure of um, peak force. And we look at counter movement jump impulse um, as a measure of explosive strength. And um, we use isometric mid-thigh pull because um, it's something that's relatively low skill. You know, doing one rep maxes with players at tournaments or players who haven't lifted isn't reasonable. But doing an isometric mid-thigh pull, it's low skill, low risk. You can do it in a tournament. You can keep monitoring people through events and it tends to be pretty good. Um, and then counter movement jump impulse. There's been some great work um, with, uh, by a guy called Jack Wells, uh, who we've, we've collaborated with on the European tour, um, looking at ISO pull and, and counter movement jump impulse and club speed. And we know that impulse is, is a really good um, proxy for club speed or something we can use to identify whether we need to chase it. Um, on top of that, we're currently developing um, measures that we can look at for injury risk reduction. Um, so we're working on some um, neck testing um at the moment because lots of the players get neck injuries and we're also working on some trunk testing as well um, and we're hoping to include that in some uh, injury research at some point to, to see if it's worth continuing to pursue um, and on top of that i guess we do any individual things that are relevant to that player yeah, if they come in and and um, they have particular issues they want us to look at we'll address those um, so thinking about when you're when you're on tour, when you when you the different players that you see, could you just give us a flavour of the different types of cases that you that you're seeing on tour and how how you might go about impacting different people or addressing addressing different goals? Yeah, I, yeah, I think um, it's one of the things that probably makes the job really really interesting. So the European tour is a place where we work with a really wide spectrum of um, players. You know, we might be working with players at the pointy end of the European tour um, competing for big prize money who range from under 20 to over 55. Um, so that real spectrum brings with it a real range of um, uh, requirements, I guess, in terms of goals. But then we also provide support to the senior tour, which is... Um, it can, can it be even older than that? So we can go, we'll get the 55-year-olds, we might get some 60-year-olds, we might get some 60-plus um, players who are still seriously good golfers. Um, given the nature of the sport, you can have a really long, fruitful career, um, but they're going to have different goals as well. And through the Challenge Tour, we're working with up-and-coming players who might be getting their first tour event, and they could be coming through national systems quite often, um, you know, an England player might get an invite to a, a challenge tour event and they're still in a development squad. So for us, it can be anything from just establishing some good habits. It can be, um, you know, building mass. Um, it can be getting a lot stronger. It can be um, that they want to develop a lot of explosive strength. Um, we have a lot of people who just come and train because they want to feel good or they want to do something that isn't golf. Um, some of them just... Um, 
some of them have used it for um, to make them feel better from a mental health perspective as well. When they've been struggling with the pressures of tournaments, they get the support that they should, but they also find that the gym is quite cathartic. Um, we have people come in for longevity. They want to extend their career. You know, all the senior guys who just want to keep going a couple more years, keep their card, keep um, playing the sport that they love. Um, we have players coming in for weight loss because they've not lived the healthiest of, of lives as a player and they're trying to turn a, turn a corner or um, you know, take up new habits. We have players who have long-term injury histories that want support in managing that. So for us, like the diversity of, um, of goals and requirements is, is such that the job is really, really good fun. And for us, that means that there's just never a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, it's usually massively individual based, based on what that player wants or needs. Okay. Um, very interesting. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm going to give you a case example um, and, and, and uh, try and get your thoughts on it. So if you had a, a young 26-year-old professional golfer uh, who wanted to get out there, start increasing distance, get the same kind of gains that Bryson DeChambeau has been getting, um, while also, I guess, trying to reduce injury risk, what might an SNC program look like if you if you produce something for them? Yeah, sure. So, I guess for us to to start with, I will answer the question in a second. But to start with, it depends on all those other things that I just said. So, some players will come in and they'll want the gains that Bryson's had, but they've never been in the gym in their life. And so for them, um, we're going to establish some basic movement patterns, get them on a program, build a habit, trying to get them um, to be patient, move, move into building a bit of strength before we might go um, big on chasing mass, for example. But if we had a player who was already strong, I guess first off, we might try and um, explain a lot of the time they'll ask questions they want to know why they're doing stuff you know golfers being individual athletes they manage themselves they often want to understand why things work or if they should invest so quite often it's explaining what's what's going on or why someone's benefiting um, so in Bryson's case he's he's put on a load of mass basically he's got stronger as well but he's put on a load of mass and um, there are a few key reasons why mass might help um, with club speed so I guess first off, like if we increase cross-sectional area uh, of the muscle, that's associated with increased force production. So ultimately there might be a strength benefit to getting bigger and we'll explain that to the players. Um, and whilst it might be slightly different from their normal strength training program, uh, that's really one of the big things that they might chase. Um, I guess on top of that, increasing mass is going to increase their moment of inertia. So when they're swinging, um, they're going to get improved moment of inertia, which leads to um, changes in angular uh, momentum and ultimately club head speeds. They hit it further. So just by being bigger, they're likely to swing the club faster. Um, so there is just a, a kind of basic effect of, of, of mass that that player might want to chase. And that's why one of the reasons it might be unique versus just doing typical strength training. They might want mass for that reason. Um, and then also something we've um, noticed, and it, it kind of fits into what I just spoke around a moment of inertia as well. We have what's called like an anchoring effect or we, we call an anchoring effect. So um, because the player is heavier, it changes their center of mass and they tend to be a bit more stable through their swing. So if you have players who struggle to control movements or get thrown around a bit by the club sometimes, um, strength can help them control that movement better but also mass can kind of anchor them to the ground better so they're not flung around so much I guess um, so we want them to understand that so that they commit because actually putting on mass like Bryson's done in season or when you're a golfer is incredibly difficult 
And I guess that brings us to the next thing that we we work on. Um, so rather than the specific program, it's the specifics of the, the individual that we're working with. And um, we'll almost, well, we'll always refer them into our nutrition team. Um, so we work with Professor Graham Close, who's a fantastic nutritionist, and um, his team as well. And whenever we're having conversations with players about um, gaining mass, like Bryson's done, we'll always refer them into him. We'll have conversations where we're sat in the players' lounge, all of us um, sort of putting the plans together as a team. Um, we'll always speak with the coach as well because there might be some impacts on practice if they're really sore or struggling with the volume. You've got to find the right time to do it. Um, and the coaches sometimes will have concerns about it as well. So we'll often talk to them. Um, we'll have quite detailed conversations about like the timing. So should they do it in season, off season, if they got a mid-season break coming? Um, you know, a lot of these players are playing for 30 odd weeks a year um, and they might have strings of events of five, six, seven weeks in a row. So finding an opportunity to really hit it hard for gaining mass versus just sort of subtly touch it up um, can be quite challenging. So that's something that, again, Bryson would have really had to consider because uh, of the nature of the sport. It's hard to do in season. Um, and again, things like travel, dealing with soreness, all that sort of stuff go into the equation. So for us, the actual program is kind of the easy bit. And then all the considerations that affect the program are the, are the kind of hard bit to manage. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it's, it's real general stuff. It's how you put mass on a lot of different athletes. You know, we tend to, we want a fair bit of volume. So there'll usually be quite a high number of sets. So four or five sets to most exercises. Um, we'll be, for the most part, using five, six, seven sometimes eight reps for compound lifts in the program. And um, we'll do that because we want them to put on mass. There's good evidence that those sort of repetitions can really help with mass, but we'll also want them to be improving their strength a lot as well. So we don't want to do lots of really light high rep stuff because we want them getting a lot, lot stronger as well as a lot bigger. Um, we'll often have some isolation exercises in there that um, might focus on having higher reps through the week. Um, we'll try and get high training frequencies, but that's very dictated um, by their schedules as well. Um, we'll keep them relatively high intensity on a lot of those exercises. And typically, um, so they're like a lot of guidelines. There isn't like a set exercise, I guess, but a lot of guidelines. And then um, typically we'll either do a whole body session or we'll do upper lower splits um, depending on the frequency. So off season, we're typically be doing upper lower splits because then you can get quite a lot of um, sessions in per week. You can really get the volume up and that will often help with mass. Whereas um, if they're in the mid season, you know, we're having to balance things in a busy schedule. It might be only three sessions a week. Um, they might go whole body sessions and they're more typical strength sessions, but just trying to up the volume in the places where we can, uh, like on a Monday when they're not competing. Um, and having sort of develop this service over the last four years it'd be really interesting to sort of understand what the service looks like uh, and any challenges that you, you sort of faced along along that road yeah absolutely so um i guess first thing to understand is that we came after other services had already been developed so um we work with a fantastic team of um therapists so physiotherapists sports therapists chiropractors osteopaths a really like good diverse team and they'd been working on the tour for you know a real long period of time and um working with guys like rob hillman who runs the service and nigel tilly um who had already established fantastic relationships with players kind of made it a lot easier to get going um and 
the service came in really because the players were asking for it. The game was changing. They wanted support and the physios and therapists helped them to a point. And then they asked us to kind of step in and, and add some uh, more information or more, more service to that. Um, on top of that, we worked with some fantastic um, doctors as well, headed up by Andrew Murray. And again, they've, they've been real proponents of what we've been doing. And we started with um, Graham Close and his nutrition team um, starting at the same time. So for us, when we came in, we had this real momentum where players wanted it. Staff already had good relationships that could push it. And we just had to focus, I guess, le- less on selling the service and more on just developing a really good S&C performance service that integrated with all those other teams. And we, we wanted to draw as much um, expertise from those teams as possible. So we, we were lucky in that regard. Um, in terms of what the service looks like, I guess um, we, we serve a number of different roles. So we serve the more typical S&C role, but like I say, across a real broad spectrum of goals. And most players will sign up for one of three types of support. So they'll either come in and they'll want everything. So they don't work with anyone. Um, they want us to take control of their, their entire sort of physical prep setup. And we'll often do, um, obviously, the conversations. We'll do the physical profiling. We'll write their programs. We'll monitor their progress at events we'll cover um well we cover a number of events 37 events a year so they can come in and we can watch them train and we can input on their training we'll retest them at different points in the year and we just give them that kind of complete package on tour and then off tour we also sort of stay in touch and do a lot of distance support with them we have a second um type of player i guess who doesn't quite want that whole package but they want a fair bit of input um, typically they might be working with someone home but they want us to oversee and coach them when they're at events because their um, team members don't necessarily come to all the events so we have to work collaboratively with those with those guys um, or other way around maybe sometimes they want to just do their own training but they want us to write a program and they just get on with it for eight weeks and then come back and see us and then we have, um, I guess, another category of player who doesn't really see us very often, but they just come in for bits and they might just want a test a couple of times a year, or maybe they come in with a program that someone else has written with the trainer and they just want a second opinion on, on something. Um, so from an S&C performance aspect, we either completely control everything for the athlete or we just deal with questions as they pop up. Um, and then beyond that, we also work really closely with the medical teams. So the, um, the docs, the physios, the sports therapists, etc. And we just get involved where we need to. So if the physios want some help with some rehab, then we'll jump in. Or if the physios are giving some advice to a player about changing their physical activity and, and getting fitter and healthier, we might jump in and help there as well. Um, so there are lots of instances where we're just working as a, a really, um, good interdisciplinary team and and just helping each other out great well thanks very much for coming on dan um i'd like to say a big thank you from the entire bgsm community yeah thank you all and uh and thank you all for listening i hope you're all able to have a physically active day mm-hmm.